Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, I was having a conversation with a, uh, with a coworker. Uh, some of you guys know this, some of you don't. Prior to stepping into this role as the pastor here, I was a, um, I was in a medical sales rep, and I did that for about five years. And anyway, uh, being a device rep, you spend a lot of time alone, a lot of time on the road, and so you just kind of look for people to, to call and talk to just because you're kind of bored. You're taking advantage of people in that way, I guess. But uh, there was one coworker in particular. I talked to him all the time. We'd talk about sports. We'd talk about family. We'd obviously talk about work. And oftentimes, I would invite him to church as well because he's a guy that just never went to church in his like, entire life. He maybe literally could count on one hand the number of times that he went to church. And most of the times when I would invite him, he'd be super dismissive about it. And he'd usually kind of give me like these smart aleck answers back. And again, he didn't have anything against God. He didn't have anything against the fact that I had faith. He just really didn't see the purpose for it in his life. Uh, but it was leading up to Christmas this one particular year, and, and I was like, all right, I am going to make it happen this time. I'm going to like make him say yes. He is coming to church with me because everybody goes to church on Christmas and Easter. I mean, you have to be like a special kind of heathen to not do that. I'm just kidding. But, you know, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to talk him into it. And so I call him, and I like cut to the chase right away. I'm like, hey, you got to come to church with me. And for the first time, he actually started asking questions. He's like, all right, well, what time is it at? And I tell him, you know, all the different times. And I'm trying to bribe him. I'm like, hey, you come out. And, you know, Andrew and I would love to take you out to dinner, you and the whole crew. So, yeah, you got to come out. And he's asking questions about the children's program. And they have stuff for kids and all this. And it's like right up to this moment where I'm convinced he's going to look at me and be like, you're not looking at me. You know, we're on the phone. He's like, I'm convinced that he's going to tell me and be like, hey, I'm in. I'm definitely going to come. And then he throws this at me. And it wasn't the first time that I had heard this. And I've actually heard it many, many times since. He isn't the originator of this idea. He goes, but, and then I'm like, oh gosh, what's he going to say? He goes, but does it really matter? And I'm like, does it really matter what? And he's like, does it really matter? I mean, if I go to church, I mean, does it really matter if I believe in God? I mean, the God that you talk about, I mean, does it matter if I believe in Jesus? And then he went down this rabbit trail and I've heard many people do this before where he kind of started to make the case for, for himself. He's like, because I'm a pretty good guy. I don't, I don't cheat on my wife. I, I'm a pretty good husband. I'm I'm a good dad. I I provide for my kids. I go to all my kids' sporting events. I I tell my kids how much I I love them. I mean, I'm a good employee. I do good things for this company. I mean, so, I mean, does it really matter if if I believe in the God that you're talking about or if I go to church? I mean, when it gets to the end of my life, I'm a pretty good guy, so I should be all good, right? Right? In other words, it doesn't really matter what you believe. Back on March 25th, um, we had our first baptism service here at Grumlaw, and uh, it's been the highlight for me anyway for like the first five months of this church's existence, and if you were here that day, it was incredible, right? Eight people uh, were baptized, and we've got to hear like on that day a snippet of each one of their stories, and if you've been paying attention and coming back since, uh, every week we've had like actually like a more complete version of that story. Well, what you don't see is behind the scenes... Um, it's me and them just talking for like a 45-minute segment, and then our video guys, you know, get it down to like four to five minutes. And if I'm being honest, it's the best part of my job. And I'm not just saying that. I'm going to start crying thinking about it. Because I get to listen after person after person after person comes and sits in that seat and just talks about how Jesus has completely transformed their life. And I just sit there, and I, like the people, again, they probably think, gosh, this pastor is like the biggest basket case on the planet, because they sit there the whole time, and I just cry, because it's so apparent what Jesus has done in people's lives, and it's for that reason, it's in moments like that, when, if I'm being honest, it kind of makes me want to punch a hole in the wall when somebody would try to convince me or convince you that it really doesn't matter what you believe. 
Hold on to that, and we'll come back to that. That's going to be kind of the basis for what we're going to be talking about today. Now, if you haven't been here of late, uh, we're in this series today. In fact, we're actually wrapping up this series. Today is the fourth and final week of this series called God Never Said That. And what we've been doing in this series is we've been kind of exploring some cultural misbeliefs that a lot of us have just kind of come to accept as fact. We really believe these things, and we've, in a lot of cases, actually pinned these things on God. And in reality, God never said that. He's up in heaven like, what in the heck are you talking about? How did that possibly uh, get put on me? Now, we see this all the time with people. Uh, I have an eight, particularly with kids, I have an eight-year-old niece, uh, and when she was like five or six, like in that age, you know, for those two years, she had like, was developing this habit of like, she would just make up stories all the time. And I, I, I honestly, if I'm being honest, I kind of admired her for it because you would sit there and you'd be like, gosh, you're creative. I can't believe you're coming up with this stuff on the fly. And she'd talk and talk, and every once in a while, she'd get me. I'd sit there and I'd be like, wait, did that actually happen? Or I'd be like, who told you that? And that was a lot of times, it was like, who told you that? And usually what she would do is she would survey the room and then she would just point at the person that was closest to her. And a lot of times I was the victim of that. She was talking to someone else and she'd be like, Uncle Shay. And I'd be like, I didn't say that. What in the heck are you talking about? Like, take that back, you little twerp. And again, it's no different with God. He's up there going, what in the heck are you talking about? How did that get associated with me? I never said that. And so in week one, we talked about the common misbelief that God just wants you to be happy, that above all else, God places your happiness on a pedestal. He puts it front and center. And again, that sounds nice, but God never said that. But the good news is, is that God actually has something far, far better for you than your happiness. Above all else, God actually wants you to be blessed. Uh, In the second week, We talked about this common misbelief that God won't ever give you more than you can handle. We've probably all heard that at certain points, but any of you that have, again, two minutes of life experience, you have probably felt like there's multiple times in your life where you have like way more than you can handle. But it's in those moments that God desires that we would go running to him and we would experience his presence, we would experience his power. And then last week, we talked about this common misbelief, and it's a very common one, that it doesn't matter what you do, doesn't matter what you do as long as you don't hurt anyone. And God says, "Eh, not so fast. And we talked about this, right? How we live, not only does it have earthly consequences, nobody debates that, but God says, hey, how you live also has eternal consequences as well. And so if you missed any of those first three weeks, or maybe this is your first time here, so glad you're here, so glad you took that risk and showed up, you can catch up at grumlaw.com messages. Hopefully some of you guys are taking advantage of that, or you can find us under Grumlaw Church, wherever it is that you grab your podcasts from. Uh, I mentioned this last week, but it was new, so I'll mention it again. You'll notice if you've been coming here, it used to be .com slash recent messages. It's just messages now. We wanted to make it a little bit simpler. And starting with the beginning of the series, you can also not only go online and listen to those, but you can actually watch them as well. You can get a little bit more of me in your life. So you're welcome. Hopefully some of you guys take advantage of that. Now, again, the statement that we're going to be talking about today and, and hopefully kind of shed some light on, shed some truth on, is this idea that, again, it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you believe. As long as you are sincere, as long as you sincerely believe it, then you should be like all good, right? doesn't matter what you believe because if you sincerely believe it, all kind of paths sort of just kind of lead to God. And this myth, like the other weeks in this series, it kind of sounds nice. If I'm being honest, like I kind of like, I don't know, yeah, like that would be nice if that was actually true. But again, God never said that. Craig Rochelle, who's the lead pastor of a church called Life Church, who we stole a lot of this content from. We didn't steal it. They gave it to us, but steal sounds vicious. Anyway, uh, he refers to this as feel-good theology, feel-good theology. And let me tell you something. Feel-good theology is like a hot commodity right now. If I can say, I think feel-good theology is like far and away the hottest religion going on in America because how many times have we all probably heard things come out of people's mouths like my former coworker? 
I mean, I'm a good person, and they make their case because I don't cheat on my wife, and I don't get drunk but once a month, and, and, and I'm a pretty good parent to my kids, and they go on and they say, so at the end of my life, because I'm a pretty good person and because I'm better than, like, well, these other people, then I should be all good. Or you see this all the time at funerals. Uh, I, I probably go to more funerals than the average person get, considering what I do for a living, and, uh, but all you guys have been to funerals before. For me, and I can't say this for you, but for me, literally the most awkward situation for me to be in I hate it. I mean, right now it makes me almost get like goosebumps is going to funerals for people that I know and the vast majority of the, the, the people in the room know that that individual was not a Jesus follower. And you almost have the loved ones and the friends, they're like kind of walking around and almost trying to convince you and simultaneously convince themselves. And I get it. I understand why they would be doing this, convincing you that because that individual wasn't like a total jerk, like because they did like a handful of nice things in their life that maybe, just maybe, they're in heaven. And a lot of times this comment will get thrown out, right? We've all heard this before at funerals. We're like, oh, well, they're, they're in a better place. He's in a better place. She's in a better place. And I hear that sometimes. I'm like, are you sure about that? Like, I don't think you should be just so casually throwing that out around. Like, truthfully, I'm not just saying this for the sake of this sermon. It was one of my biggest fears into stepping into this role as a pastor because I knew, and in fact, it's already happened, that I was gonna get asked to do funerals for people who I knew were not Jesus followers. And honestly, in those situations, what are you supposed to say? But with feel-good theology, it doesn't matter what you believe. Just believe whatever you want to believe. And as long as you sincerely believe it, then you should be all good because all paths just kind of lead to God anyway. Now, one of the more interesting things right now in our society is that uh, basic spirituality really isn't all that controversial. You see this at award shows. You see this after, you know, big sporting events. Somebody will big, you know, hit a game-winning shot, and they're like, hey, first and foremost, I just want to thank God, right? We hear those things all the time, and a lot of times it comes out of mouths that you wouldn't necessarily expect it to come out of. Or, or somebody wins, you know, best album of the year, and they get up there, hey, first and foremost, I just, I just want to thank God. We, we saw this with Tim Tebow. Remember Tebow? He's in the NFL for like five minutes, right? And Tebowing kind of became a thing. Like everybody's like, you know, going down and doing the Tebow thing. People had never been to church before, suddenly Tebowing. I remember back when I was in high school, the song Jesus Walks came out by Kanye West. And that was like a moral victory for me as like a teenage Christian. That was like, sweet, people are talking about Jesus. And it's like a positive thing. Uh, Rob Leiter, who's the Young Life director here in Grand Blanc, and he's the guy who plays bass a lot. He's like super into it. We love Rob. Uh, Rob like is like actually knows a little bit what's going on with like young people with high schoolers and he was telling me about Chance the Rapper. Now I've heard of Chance the Rapper before but like I'll be honest I'm officially old man mode. I listen to podcasts and worship music so like know nothing about new music. I'm like I have become my father. <laughs> and uh, he's telling me about Chance the Rapper and he's showing me all like these songs off his most recent album and virtually the entire album talks about God. I was like this is incredible. I mean the same God that we talk about here on Sunday mornings. Basic spirituality really is pretty commonly accepted. It's almost even cool to talk about that higher power. But once you bring up, and this is interesting, once you bring up the name Jesus, then it's like, get out of my face. Put, put, put your religious agenda somewhere else. Take your like religious freak show out of town. I'm not interested in that. Now, ironically, people, most people are okay with Jesus the man. I, I say this all the time. People that were nothing like Jesus, they liked Jesus. And apparently, Jesus liked them back. Nobody, in fact, even we're at a point in, in, in history where nobody really even debates his, his, his existence. And that's one of the great things about science and, and Christianity. A lot of times people think you got to pick one or the other. You got to either be a Christian or you got to pick science. I don't really know where people get that from, but it's one of the great things about science. It's proved a lot of things with Christianity that 100 years ago, we were debating simple things like 
Was Jesus even a real guy? Science has undeniably proved that Jesus was absolutely a real man. Even the most devout atheists acknowledge that this guy existed. In fact, most people even like his teachings. I mean, how can you dislike a guy that, that helps the poor, that loves virtually every person that he came in contact with, that serves others, that so easily forgives? I mean, these are all great traits to have. These are all traits that you would probably like yourself to have, that you would want your spouse to have, your family members to have, your kids to have. Everybody kind of gets on board with his teachings, but what gets people wigged out, what gets people a little irritable, is the exclusivity of Christianity. And we find this in John chapter 14, verse 6. John 14, verse 6, it's one of the gospel books. It's one of the books that documents Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. It says, Jesus told him. So Jesus said this. And Jesus would say things like this all the time that you have to imagine in the moment. We take it for granted now because we just think of it as like a book. But in the moment, these things must have sounded so incredibly arrogant. Like, oh my gosh, Jesus, don't let that come out of your mouth. He goes, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And people are sitting there as disciples. They're like, oh my gosh, Jesus, don't, don't go down this path again. You're, you're going to get yourself in trouble. He says, and then this is the part that people get wigged out about. He says, no one can come to the Father. No one can come to the Father. No one can get to God except through me. I am it. In this verse, it shatters feel-good theology. It's what disrupts this notion that it doesn't matter what you believe because all roads lead to God. Jesus says, nope, not so fast. This verse clearly tells us that Jesus is the one and only path to God, that it does matter what you believe. You must believe in Jesus. And keep in mind, this isn't just like some one-off statement. If you spend any time reading, again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these four books that document Jesus' time on earth, and I hope you guys are doing that. Hopefully some of you guys are at least going home and reading this stuff for yourself. Don't always just take my word for it. I'm a human. I probably get this stuff wrong sometimes. But if you read this stuff for yourself, you would find that Jesus came back to this over and over and over again. In fact, he wouldn't shut up about it. It was one of the big reasons that he got himself killed, that he kept telling people, hey, I'm it. I am the only way to God. This is the only solution. No, you can't just believe whatever you want to believe. I am it. And this is what causes people to freak out. This is what causes people to shut you out. This is what causes people to look at you and say, shut up with your religious agenda. It's the exclusivity of Christianity that Jesus is indeed the only way to the Father. Because feel-good theology, this is the great thing about feel-good theology, it lets you believe whatever you want to believe. And in turn... It allows you to live however you want to live. It allows you to do whatever you want to do. People hate being called out in their lives. We talked about this last week. People hate being told when they're wrong. People certainly don't like hearing when, hey, you are a sinner. They're like, oh my gosh, don't say that. We don't want to hear that there's some guy out there named Jesus who is the only way to God because if that's the case, that probably means some pretty drastic changes in every single one of our lives. And if we're honest, you don't have to admit this about yourself. I'll admit it about me. We're like pigs. People are like pigs. If we're honest, we kind of like wallowing around in our own filth. We like doing things that we know are wrong, that we know are going to lead to regret, but in the moment, it makes us feel pretty good. 
People want to believe that it doesn't matter what you believe, but God says, and that's kind of the entire idea behind this entire series, figuring out, okay, what does God actually say? God says, nope, not so fast. Jesus is the only way. Now, I will say this. There is some truth and beauty in every bit one of the big world religions, in Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, New Age, you can find in every single one of those religions, you can find some truth. You can absolutely find some beauty, but they are absolutely not all the same. Now, obviously, as I sit here today, I'm a Christian, right? And, you know, I'm a Christian pastor, so you might be sitting there thinking, well, you're going to be a little bit biased, and I will certainly grant you that. But what I would ask you to do this morning is let's just try and look at this objectively, as will I. Because I realize that as there are every single Sunday here at Grumlaw, that, that there are people here today that wouldn't necessarily call themselves Jesus followers. And what I'm going to ask you to do today, I would like you to just consider Jesus. I'm not asking you to consider me. I'll let you down. I'm not even asking you to consider the church. I'm not asking you to consider Grumlaw. I'm not even asking you to consider Christianity. Just consider Jesus, the guy who came to reveal the love of God to a world that so desperately needs it. Because a lot of you, if you're honest, you've probably been turned off by Christianity at certain points in your life, right? You've probably met Christians in one moment where you're like, gosh, that person's like awesome. Like they're kind and they're compassionate and they're loving. And I like, I don't know, there's just something there that like I want to be more like that person. But then the very next day, you'll meet another Christian that like has weird glasses and strange hair and doesn't really know how to dress, they smell like patchouli, and they're hyper-judgmental, and you're just like, that's supposed to be a Christian too? Like, I want nothing to do with that person. So don't consider Christians. Again, don't even consider Christianity. Just consider Jesus. And as we do that this morning, we're going to look at three aspects of Jesus, but before we go there, I'd love to pray for you and pray for me, so let me do that now. Father, I, uh, I just say thank you for this opportunity that we have this morning to just explore who you are, explore uh, your son, your one and only son. And I just ask God that regardless of why people are here today, uh, whether they want to be here or whether they got bribed or forced to show up here by a spouse or a family member, uh, that we would all just be open to whatever it is that, that you might be trying to say to us this morning, even if we're not even ready to like give you the credit for that, but that we just be open to the words here. Uh, it's in your name we pray. Amen. So again, three aspects of, the, uh, of Jesus. Number one is this. Consider the ministry of Jesus. Consider the ministry of Jesus. People have formed so many opinions of Jesus and who he is based on how Christians live their lives. And unfortunately, and ugh, like I really wish this wasn't the case, but a lot of times that doesn't give us a super, super accurate picture of who Jesus is and what Jesus was really about. People, and, and maybe this is you this morning because a lot of people think this way. A lot of people think of Jesus as like this like hyper-judgmental know-it-all who only wants to keep people from having a good time because, well, that basically describes every Christian that you have ever met in your life. You're not alone. I meet them almost every single week, oftentimes in the comment sections of our social media posts. I promise, they make me want to rip my hair out as well. But Jesus is so far from that. He's so far from judgmental. Here's one example that we have of this in the book of Mark. Again, one of the gospel books, one of the books that documents Jesus' life. It says, but when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees, I mean, this is a group of people that were known to be the judgmental, annoying type human beings, where Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners... Jesus was eating with these people that nobody associated with. They asked his disciples, and here's a nice question, why does he eat with such scum? What's he doing? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. 
sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, not those who think they are perfect, not those who think they have life figured out, but those who know they are sinners. I mean, I read that piece of scripture and it gets me so fired up because this is what the church, this is what Christianity should look like. Christianity, the church, it shouldn't be just this time for a bunch of Jesus followers to come together and hold hands and like, you know, make ourselves feel better about ourselves and brag about how great we are. No, Christianity, the church instead should be people who are actively seeking out, people who are actively accepting the lost, reaching out to people who do not have a relationship with Jesus, loving on people who are nothing like them, spending time with people who are nothing like them. Whenever you get to hear stories, uh, and I get to hear a lot of these, and I'm sure some of the, for some of you, these stories get you super fired up as well. But when I get to hear stories of how Jesus just transformed a person's life, like I usually will ask that question of people. It's like, how did you come to know Jesus? It almost always begins. I mean, almost without fail, 99.9% with like the little, little repeater bar. Almost always, almost always, it begins with one Jesus follower simply treating that person as Jesus would have treated them showing the love of Jesus to another human being. It's so incredibly contagious. A couple of months ago, uh, I was it was revealed to me a statistic about people that come to a church for the first time, and it kind of like shook me a little bit. Uh, this is pretty crazy. The average person, when they come to a church for the first time, they decide within the first 11 minutes whether they are going to return the following week. Not, not like from the first 11 minutes of the service, from the first 11 minutes that they drive on the property. And that kind of freaked me out because I'm like, that means they don't even get to hear me talk. Like they probably ain't even hearing a song. Like they're coming in. But as I thought about it, I was like, that actually doesn't surprise me that much. Because I get to talk to people like weekly. I, I call a lot of the people, if you fill out a Connect card, hopefully it doesn't freak you out and you're not like scrambling to get your Connect card back. But I just call people and say, hey, what, what, what did you think of it? Like, tell me, like, you know, would you come back? Why wouldn't you come back? Give us some constructive criticism. And the most positive thing that people usually cite, if they cite like anything at all, they, they, they mention that, hey, when I walked through the doors, it just felt different. It felt like people actually wanted me to be there. They never, not one time has anybody ever mentioned, hey, your sermon was just like out of control good. Not once. <laughs> they never even mentioned the music. Every once in a while, they'll talk about our kids program, but the vast majority of the time, they just mention, no, I just felt so welcomed here. I'm definitely coming back, which speaks to our first impressions team, those people that are genuinely excited for you to walk through our doors. See, Jesus is anything but judgmental. And it's why it, it irritates me so much when Christians get labeled as such. And I see Christians treat people so poorly because when others despised, when others rejected, Jesus loved, Jesus accepted. Unfortunately, and myself included, a lot of times the Christians are represented way more by the Pharisees in this story than Jesus. It doesn't matter how far you feel like you are from God this morning. God wants you. God longs for a relationship with you. God accepts you. And this isn't the only time that we see this type of occurrence here uh, in the Bible. It's not like I picked out one piece of scripture to kind of support this thing. Again, you see this throughout the New Testament. Again, in particular, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those books that document Jesus' life. On one particular occasion, 
Uh, Jesus kind of sitting there minding his own business and then this like big commotion breaks out and a woman is brought forward along with this huge crowd that was caught in the act of adultery. And back at that point in, in history, if you were a woman caught in the act of adultery, you were to be killed. And you were to be killed by stoning and stoning. Like they pick up rocks and just throw them at you until you die. And so they drag this woman forward. She was caught red-handed, guilty as guilty could be. And they ask Jesus, they say, Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law says that we get to kill her. The law says that we get to stone her. But what do you say? And Jesus is like, heck yeah, that's what the law says. Then throw the rocks at her. Let's do it. But, but, how about the person that throws the first rock is the person that's never sinned before? And one by one, the people leave. And the crowd dissipates. And it's just Jesus and the woman. And he goes, come on. Not one person threw a rock? And she's like, no. Not, not one person condemned you? She's like, no. He says, then neither do I. Go and sin no more. He opened blind eyes. He healed deaf ears. He allowed the mute to speak. He touched and he healed lepers. He walked on water. He raised the dead to life. He even turned water into wine. Some of you are like, all right, I can get on board with this guy. The list goes on and on and on. He performed so many miracles for the sick, for the lost. And that includes many of you. Many of you are living, breathing miracles of how Jesus can completely transform lives. I'm one of those miracles. Back in my sophomore year of college, uh, I was still living a life that was just out of control. I was kind of extending my high school years, and I was a madman in high school and uh, drank a lot, did a lot of drugs, and was just kind of like doing whatever I wanted to kind of just made me feel good in, in the moment. And uh, a sophomore year that I, I was living in a dorm, uh, and I happened to be on the same floor as like the men's soccer team uh, at the university that I was attending. And the men's soccer team was largely a bunch of just like young men that were on fire for Jesus. And for the first time in my life, there's this guy named Joel Trainer, who's my best friend to this day. He started to like challenge me on the way that I was living my life, but not in a judgmental, I'm gonna point the finger at you way, but in a way that was just like, do you feel good about yourself the next morning after you get like really drunk? And he was asking me these questions that I'd never really wrestled with before. And not only that, for the first time in my life, and gosh, it kind of stinks that it took that long, but here I am, 19 years old. For the first time in my life, I was around a group of Jesus followers that I was like, I think I want what they have. I'm pretty sure that I would like my life to look more like these guys than the way my life currently looks. And little did I know, that was the beginning of an absolute transformation. And it started with one Jesus follower just starting to challenge me a little bit, showing me the love of Jesus. Consider the ministry. Consider the miracles. Consider the life of Jesus. Jesus didn't come to like come and hold hands with, with other Christians. It's, it's way better than that. He didn't come for the righteous. No, he came for the lost. He came for the sick. He came for people like me and you. He came for sinners. Number two, 
Consider the resurrection of Jesus. Consider the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, the stigma that Jesus is like this judgmental, point the finger at you type guy can be so irritating because Jesus loves every one of us so much. He loves you so much. Now keep in mind, he loves you, but he hates your sin, but that almost makes his love that much better, that he loves us and that he can have love for us and this deep, intense love for us despite the fact that we constantly turn our back to him, despite the fact that we sin. He hates our sin because he is without it, which also happens to be the reason that he was the perfect and the only sacrifice for us. And while Jesus hung on that cross, while he was being killed for me and for you, for our sins, he did nothing wrong. While he was going through unspeakable pain, while he was being mocked, while people were hurling insults at him, think about that. While the creation mocked the creator. In the midst of that, what does he do? What does he say? You remember? He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Shortly after that, he takes his last breath. In that moment, there's an earthquake, the ground shakes, there's this massive, massive curtain, the veil in the, in the temple, and it rips in half. And there's one guy, a, a Roman guard, the centurion, who looks up and he's like, what the heck just happened? And he says, surely, Surely that guy was exactly who he said he was. Surely he was the son of God. And they take him down from the cross and they put him in a tomb. And for three days, he was rotting in that tomb. But three days later, they roll it away. They roll the entrance of the tomb away and he's not there. He conquered death. He rose from the grave. And Luke, in the book of Acts, after this happens, he's like ticked off. He's ticked that people let this happen, even though he's kind of one of those people that let it happen. He says, you killed the author of life. He's pointing his finger at the crowds. He goes, you killed him. And even if you, you weren't like an active part of it, you didn't do anything to stop it. You killed the author of life. But, it's a good thing for you, but, but God raised him from the dead. And we, as in all of us, are witnesses to this fact. See, this is really, really important because there are actual witnesses, not hypothetical ones, but actual witnesses who saw Jesus die. They saw it with their own eyes. He was as dead as dead could be. They watched him take him away. They watched him go into a tomb. He was dead. And then three days later, they saw dead Jesus alive. And Jesus is walking around again. Think about that for a second. I know that those of you that have grown up going to church, we just kind of sometimes breeze past this and we don't really give it a lot of thought. The guy was dead. He was dead, and there were all these witnesses. He was in a grave for three days, but three days later, he was walking around again. That fact alone, the resurrection of Jesus, the fact that Jesus conquered death is what sustained and what grew Christianity as a movement and as a religion for the first couple hundred years. They didn't have a Bible. You've heard me say this before. They didn't have a Bible. No, what they had were these eyewitnesses running around like madmen and mad women going, okay, I know that this is going to sound absolutely ridiculous, but I watched the guy die. I watched it with my own eyes. But then three days later, we were having conversations with them. He conquered the grave. The resurrection of Jesus is what grew the Christian church in leaps and bounds. Thomas, remember Thomas, doubting Thomas? He's the only one of the disciples that we at least know of that really doubted. The other disciples come to him and they're like, hey, Jesus is alive. We saw him. He's like, 
No, he's not. I saw him die. And he had to see it with his own eyes. And even just seeing Jesus with his own eyes, like maybe he thought there was like, you know, artificial intelligence that already came, but he's like, no, that still ain't him. I want to touch your wounds. He wanted to touch his wrists and touch his ankles and touch his side where the spear had entered him when he hung on the cross. And then he believed. And wouldn't you know it, not too long after that, Thomas was speared to death. He was murdered because he wouldn't shut up about Jesus. Now, generally speaking, people don't die for things that they don't 100% believe in. People won't die unless they know beyond the shadow of a doubt. Thomas saw his risen Savior. He knew that Jesus was alive. Consider Jesus. Here we are more than 2,000 years later, and Christianity still survives. Even through massive persecution, where there are more than 2 billion people on our planet right now that follow Jesus because he lives. Is it just a coincidence? Is this possible that this is just a big ruse? I get to have these conversations a lot because, again, of my role as a pastor. And one of the questions that I'll frequently just pose to people when it seems like we're going to agree to disagree is I ask them this. I say, is it harder to doubt? Honestly, with the evidence that we have at this point, is it harder to doubt or believe? Because if this is a lie, if this is a fairy tale, if this is just a big ruse, whatever you want to call it, then it's the greatest lie in the history of the world and has withstood the test of time like no other lie ever has or ever will. It would mean that it has duped millions and billions of people on every corner of the planet for over 2,000 years, despite the fact that Jesus never traveled more than 35 miles from his hometown, and he left this made-up story to 12 uneducated fishermen. There are sociopaths all the time that try to start up religions and cults. None of them make it 2,000 years. I know that a lot of people think that this is ridiculous, and again, I get to have these conversations a lot, but it is equally insane. It is equally ridiculous to just dismiss it as a hoax, to just call it a fairy tale. Lies don't last this long. Lies eventually die off, and then we start referring to them as cults. So what sets Christianity apart? Look at the lives. Look at the witnesses of those who died for Jesus because they saw what actually happened. They saw a resurrected Jesus. And I've said this before, and I'll keep saying it. I can't speak for you, but when somebody predicts their own death, and they predict their own resurrection, and it actually happens, I, and again, I can't speak for you, but I am going to pay a whole lot more attention to what that person had to say. And then number three is this, consider the eternal message of Jesus. Consider the eternal message of Jesus. In Romans 3.22, Paul in his uh, letter to the Christians that are living in Rome, he says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, no matter who you are. Being made right with God Getting a right standing with God, often called righteous, kind of the churchy word associated with it, it really isn't all that complicated. We don't need to overthink it. In fact, it's the simplicity of this message that causes people to kind of dismiss it because it's almost impossible to comprehend that the most high God would make the standard so simple. 
That the way that we are called right, the way that we enter into a right standing with God is simply based on belief, it's trust. Do you believe that God sent his one and his only son for you? But three days later, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. There isn't some weird set of rules. There's not some strange order of operations. There's not some strict guide that we have to adhere to. No, what does it say here? By placing our faith in Jesus. Go back. By placing our faith in Jesus, no matter who you are. God wants to use all of you. He desires a relationship with every single one of us. Again, as it says, no matter who we are, no matter who you are. Christianity is so incredibly simple. And and churches and Christians, we have to bear some of the blame with this, so I'll certainly own it. We've made it complicated, but it's so simple. It's Again, it's just Christianity is Christ plus nothing. It's Christ. That's it. Not Christ plus good works. Not, not Christ plus follow this order of operations. Not Christ plus you got to give money in the bucket. Not Christ, because, but then, okay, yeah, you got to follow these rules and do these things. No, it's Christ plus nothing. In Christ alone, we have the gift of eternal life. In Christ alone is the way that we find our salvation. In Christ alone, we have freedom. In Christ alone, we have true purpose. It's not about religion. Religion is all about me. Religion is all about us. Religion looks at all of us and says, okay, it's what you do, it's what I do. No, it's about relationship, and relationship is about what Jesus has done. Religion focuses on ourselves. Relationship puts the focus on Jesus. Religion says, because I am good, God accepts me. Relationship says, because God loves me, he accepts me. And because he accepts and loves me, I want to obey him. I choose to obey him. I want to please him. I want to reciprocate that love. Rather than we have to, we get to. Rather than an obligation, it becomes a natural outpouring. It's a response. Because this is so powerful. There is nothing that you can do to get God to love you more. I mean, this is powerful, and this isn't just some cheesy phrase to kind of you know, get people hooked here. This is the truth. There's nothing you can do to get God to love you more. And there's nothing you can do to get God to love you less. How amazing is that? God loves you because that's who he is. God is is love. Consider the eternal message of Jesus. Religion is spelled do. What did you do? Relationship is spelled done. It is finished. Jesus already won. He already paid the price for you and for me, for our sins. He died for every one of us. He loves, God loves us so much that he sent his one and his only son to die for you. And not you in like broad terms, but specifically you. I hope you'll consider Jesus. Because it does, it matters so much what you believe. Since day one here at Grumlaw, we have always had an agenda. And I will never be shy about it. I am doing everything in my power, and that's not much, but hoping that God works through this church and works through these people. And we are trying to get as many people into heaven as we possibly can. Don't keep fighting this. Maybe today, maybe today is the day that you finally surrender your life to Jesus. It matters so much what you believe.